Shalom, I'm Mitch Glazer, president of Chosen People Ministries. So glad you're with us, and I'd like to introduce to you my good friend and colleague, Robert Walter. I call him Bobby, and you can call him Bobby, too. And Bobby is the director of our work in Brooklyn and our New York regional director, and both of us have a great interest in the festivals of Israel and the Jewish calendar, how they point us to God, and even more, how they point us to Jesus the Messiah. Right, Bobby? That's right, Mitch. And welcome, everyone. Uh, Today on The Chosen People, it is that time of year. We are going to be exploring the three fall feasts of Israel that are found in the book of Leviticus. And then later on in the program, we're actually going to hear from a man who, from a very young age, had a strong desire to know God in an intimate and profound way. Bobby, I know that folks are going to really enjoy uh, Randy Newman's testimony. It's just wonderful and heart-stirring. Yeah, I agree, Mitch. But for now, let's let's get into these fall feasts. Bobby, I know that uh, folks are going to really enjoy learning about the festivals of Israel. Of course, I was brought up with these festivals. It was my life cycle. I could feel the fall festivals coming in August. I mean, they were just creeping up behind me. Right, right. And, um, and, and we oriented our whole family calendar around the Jewish calendar. I mean, that's when we went to our grandparents' house. And of course, since all the holidays except the Day of Atonement involve a meal, that's when we had large family gatherings and meals. And so the holidays are just really, really important uh, to me. But I'd like to give us a biblical overview, if I could, just for a few moments. And we're going to be learning a lot about the holidays as the weeks go by. The, the key passage about the holidays is found in the book of Leviticus, one of the five books of what Jewish people call the Torah. And in Leviticus chapter 23, uh, we eventually have all of the seven great festivals of Israel, four in the spring and three in the fall. And we also have the one great festival that is weekly. And when we look at the one weekly festival, the Sabbath, we actually learn a lot about the rest of the festivals. The Sabbath is, so to speak, the model for the other festivals. So let me just go ahead and and read in Leviticus 23. The Lord again spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, The Lord's appointed times, which you shall proclaim as holy convocations, my appointed times are these. Now, the Bible translators like to use very grand language to make it almost feel very biblical. Right. And uh, really, the word appointed times, moed, just simply means appointment. But when you have an appointment with God, that's pretty significant, pretty important. Right. And so, they use the word appointed times, but it really is, it's singular. It is an appointment, which you shall proclaim as holy convocations. So there's one of the features of these, what we call moadim, the holidays. A holy convocation is a gathering of the people of God. And so you'll notice that in every one of these seven festivals, over and above the Sabbath, there are gatherings. 
Moses continues, my appointed times are these. And then he begins in verse 3, describing the Sabbath. And we learn a lot about the festivals from this. For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day, there's a Sabbath of complete rest, a holy convocation. You shall not do any work. It's a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling. So let me just pick out a few points that are salient to this topic. Number one, Jewish holidays must always be observed when Jewish holidays are supposed to be observed according to the Bible. Right, <laughs> In right. Chosen People Ministries, we get Jewish and Christian holidays off. And I remember once talking to a Gentile staff member who said, the Day of Atonement is falling on, uh, on a Sunday, so do we get commensurate time off? <laughs> I, I said, I don't think so. You know, at first I thought they were joking. It's important. The holidays are specific, date-specific, time-specific, and they must be celebrated when they are supposed to be celebrated. And so six days, that means on the seventh day, there's a Sabbath of complete rest. The Sabbath is always on Saturday. It begins Friday night, evening and morning the first day, but it's always on Saturday. Mm -hmm. And so there's a Sabbath of complete rest. So one of the things that we must do on these holy days or holidays is we have to stop working. A holy convocation, we gather. It's a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwellings. Now, there are, again, four in the spring and three in the fall. In verse 5, we learn about the first spring festival, and that's the Passover. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. This is in the Hebrew month of Nisan. That's not a car. So Nisan is the first of the Hebrew months, but most people understand that we observe Rosh Hashanah, which is called literally the head of the year or the new year in September. So now we're talking, Moses is talking about Passover in the first month on the 14th day of the month. So which is it? Do we celebrate the Jewish new year in the fall, in September, or in the spring at Passover? And the answer, of course, is yes. <laughs> and so it's like a fiscal year and a civil year and a academic year. I mean, Jewish people had lots of years. Right. And this is really the religious calendar. Yeah. There's at least four new years on the Jewish calendar. <laughs> Including one for trees. Right. Exactly. So we, <laughs> so the religious year begins with Passover. Civil year begins with uh, Rosh Hashanah in the fall. That's probably the best explanation and the shortest one you'll get. So we have Passover. Then we have unleavened bread. Then we have first fruits. And then we have Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, which Christians call Pentecost. Then we skip some days and some verses and drop down to verse 23 in Leviticus 23. And then we have Rosh Hashanah, which is not used there, New Year. It's actually Yom Truah, the Feast of Trumpets, and we'll learn more about that later. And then 10 days later, we have Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And then five days after that, we have Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, let me roughly give you my scenario on, on all of these holidays, because in my opinion, they all point to something greater. The Sabbath is the example. It points to that great day of Sabbath rest when God will send the Messiah and bring peace to the world and will be at rest. Mm -hmm. So the Jewish holidays oftentimes look forward, but they also look backwards. In the Sabbath, we look back to 
the creation of the world, but it also looks forward to the new creation. And that's a Jewish, Jewish thought. Now, Passover looks back to the redemption from Egypt, but looks forward to a greater day of redemption when God would send the Messiah. Every Jewish person was raised that way. We all understand it. We just don't know what that greater day of redemption is going to look like. But of course, it's very focused on the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We understand that. Jewish people don't really understand it. They understand the Lamb in the Passover story in Exodus 12, uh, which redeemed the firstborn during that 10th and deadly plague. But we understand that it points to Jesus because he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's also unleavened. Jesus is sinless, so we believe Feast of Matzot or the Feast of Unleavened Bread points to his holiness. Then you have the Feast of First Fruits. If he died on Passover, well, he was in the grave three days and three nights. He died on Passover on the Friday. He rose on the Sunday. In Judaism, any part of a day is considered a day, so he rose on Sunday. Sunday in the year Jesus died would have been the Festival of First Fruits. No accident, no coincidence, Bobby. He died on Passover as the Lamb of God, was unleavened, was sinless, was perfect, and he rose on first fruits. And then 49 plus one day later, on the 50th day, when we were to offer two loaves of bread in the temple, both leavened pieces of bread, that was the day God chose to make the two loaves one, coming from the one chief. It was the birthday of the church, Jews and Gentiles one. How did that happen? With the coming of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit fell upon 120 Jewish believers waiting in an upper room uh, for the Lord to empower them to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And you can see that in Acts chapter 2. Then we come to the fall festivals, the New Year, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And these three festivals we're going to get into in quite a bit of depth over the next uh, few sessions and the next few programs, because we are right in the midst now of beginning this season of celebration when Jewish people are observing these holidays. And in fact, it is probably the most serious and sober time of the Jewish year as we approach Rosh Hashanah, the New Year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and then the holiday where we really rejoice, and that's the Feast of Tabernacles. And we're going to get into all of these in significant depth in the days ahead. At the heart of every believer is a desire to walk in the ways of the Savior. This fall, we'd like to encourage you to go deeper by connecting with our Messiah's culture. Throughout the Gospels, we read that Jesus was a Jewish man, celebrating the biblical feasts with his disciples. So, the feast days must be significant for us too. And to help you discover the past, present, and prophetic impact of the biblical feasts coming up this fall, we invite you to contact us. We have a variety of articles, books, and newsletters that will help you to learn more about these special appointed times. And you can even invite one of our speakers to your local church. Visit us online at chosenpeople.com slash radio. That's chosenpeople.com slash radio. Or connect with us today by calling 888-293-7482. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Welcome back. You're listening to The Chosen People. And coming up right now, we're going to hear from Randy Newman. No, not that one. Another one. Who, as a young man, had committed to doing everything right, 
but he couldn't help but wonder if there was more to life. I know you're referring to my dear friend who has written a number of terrific books on evangelism. His latest book is called Mere Evangelism, where he identifies some evangelistic principles in the writings of C.S. Lewis and does just such a wonderful job. Anyway, he's hysterical, and I think that you're going to love his testimony. And it's, it's one of the testimonies I wouldn't even think twice about sharing with a Jewish friend who doesn't know the Lord. I think for a, a big chunk of the first, I don't know, 20 years of my life when I could start thinking, if there was a bubble coming out of the back of my head telling me what I was thinking, it would probably be something like, there's got to be more to life than this. I was raised in a Jewish home on Long Island, suburbs of New York City. And our family was very strongly culturally Jewish. We went to Hebrew school, we learned about Jewish culture, we learned about participating in Jewish worship. I love the music, I love the sound, I love the prayers, what they meant. Um, and I, I, I really wanted to learn all that I could about it because it was so pleasant and it, and it promised to connect me to God. And yet it never did. It was always a disappointment. My family was not necessarily all that religious, um, but I started taking Judaism really quite seriously. And so I, I started studying Judaism a lot on my own. And uh, when I was 15, I remember um, the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. This was the day that I was gonna finally connect with God. I was gonna fast, I was not gonna drive in the car, I was gonna say all of the prayers, I was gonna confess all of the sins, I was gonna get it right so that finally I would connect to God. I did everything exactly the way you're supposed to do it. And it didn't work. I was walking home and I thought, it didn't work. God seems just as far away as he was 24 hours ago. And I was walking along and I looked down, I was dressed up in a suit and I wore dress shoes and I went, oh no, you're not supposed to wear leather shoes on Yom Kippur. That's what the rabbis taught. And I thought, ah, oh, that's it. That's why it didn't work. I wore the wrong shoes. I gotta wait another whole year to get this right? That's crazy. Okay, God, you, you gotta show me how this works because I, I can't remember all of these millions of rules. This friend of mine invited me to go to his church youth group. I thought, I'm Jewish, we don't do church anything, we don't do church youth group. He said, listen, it's not a religious thing, it's just a fun thing. High school kids from our church get together, we do lots of fun things. And he said, the girls are cute. So I said, okay. So we're on this bus and we're going to the beach and some guy gets up at the front, the front of the bus and says, hey, everybody quiet down, we're gonna pray. And he prays that the bus doesn't break down, that we have a great time at the beach and that nobody gets badly sunburned. And then he says, in Jesus name, amen. And I thought, these people are crazy. You don't bother the almighty with things like sunburn. They talked a lot about knowing God. They used this phrase about a personal relationship with God and they prayed as if he was right there and that they, 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 they knew him. But, but I, I just I had to keep pushing it off because no, I'm Jewish, we don't do this Jesus stuff. First year of college for me was lots of fun, lots of parties, lots of beer, until 
this terrible, terrible night in the middle of my sophomore year. Uh, I lived in a high-rise dorm uh, at college. I was up on the sixth floor and I knew the guys on the floor and one of the guys um, crashed through the, uh, a window in a lounge and he, and he fell to his death. And it, it was just, it was so crazy, it was so upsetting. I remember sitting at his funeral thinking, okay, I got, I, I, I can't just keep joking around. I gotta get some serious answers. And so I decided to read the Bible, not just the Tanakh, but this time also that, that New Testament that those friends gave me. I, I thought it was gonna be this totally foreign uh, Gentile book. It was very Jewish. This, this Jesus claimed to be God. He claimed to be the Messiah. He claimed that he always existed. He claimed that he could forgive sins. And his death was not just some martyr's death, but his death was to pay for sin, to connect people to God. I remember reading in Isaiah, that was my favorite book in the Tanakh, that it's not that God has separated himself from you. You've separated yourself from God. Your sins have made a separation between you and God. And when I read that when I was a sophomore in college, it all started making sense. And I remember sitting at my dorm room desk and I, it was something like a prayer. I didn't really quite know how to pray, but it was, um, thank you God that life is not pointless and meaningless and absurd. Thank you that there is meaning and it's in you. It's, it's found in you. When my mom was 71, she sent me this email, kind of out of nowhere. Um, I, I think I'm gonna read the New Testament. Okay. And she starts sending me all these emails with questions about Jesus. And then, and then um, I sent her a book, uh, Betrayed by Stan Telchin. Five years later, we're talking on the phone. She says, you know, I think I'm gonna have the same problem that that guy in the book that you sent me had, Stan Telchin. When I, when I tell my Jewish friends that I'm a believer in Jesus, I think they're gonna reject me. And I thought, did my mother just say, I'm a believer in Jesus? She did, my, my mother said that. Why are we here and what's our purpose? These are just a few of the questions that either plague us or propel us forward in search of an answer. So what if I told you that there was one passage in the Bible that could answer your questions and change your life at the same time? Well, journey with Mitch Glazer through the pages of Scripture to uncover why Isaiah 53 has the power to revolutionize your life. The book is called Isaiah 53 Explained, and it's our gift to you today when you reach out and say hello. You'll find us online at chosenpeople.com radio. That's chosenpeople.com radio. Or ask for Mitch's book, Isaiah 53 Explained, when you call us at 888 293-7482. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Welcome back. You're listening to The Chosen People. And Mitch, I really appreciated your overview of these appointed times of God. And when I think about the fall feasts, I'm really excited that we're going to take a much deeper look at these fall feasts over the coming weeks. And I've always loved how looking at Rosh Hashanah, the New Year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, how they really point to the gospel. And it's almost like they lay out the progression of the gospel. When you think about Rosh Hashanah, the theme for that holiday, that appointed time, is repentance, seeking forgiveness from God. And then the theme of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, is redemption, it's atonement, it's, it's where we find that forgiveness. And then with Sukkot, it's all about rejoicing in God's presence. And again, when we look 
at the ministry of Jesus in the Gospels, in the New Testament, we see that it begins with a call to repentance. He obtains redemption and atonement for us. And then when we have that, we rejoice because what else are we going to do? Yeah, that's right, Bobby. It starts with repentance, leads to atonement, and then, of course, our response to atonement. What do you do when you know that God forgives your sins through the sacrifice of Jesus the Messiah? You rejoice, right. you know? And so, Feast of Tabernacles is a response. Right. One question that I have, Mitch, that I'm sure some of our listeners even have, is what relationship do believers today have to these holidays, to these feasts? I mean, it's even a broader question. You know, what relationship do New Testament believers have to the Old Testament? There's a great Bible teacher by the name of Walt Kaiser. And he said to me once, you know, Mitch, I really love the New Testament. I said, why is that? I didn't know I was being set up, by the way. He said, because it reminds me of the old. (laughs) (laughs) So he had a great love for the Old Testament. I think the answer is really found in 2 Timothy 3.16, Bobby. All scripture, the Greek word graphe, which was a reference to the Old Testament so that, mm-hmm. since there was no new one at that point. Right, right. So, all scripture is inspired, theonoustos, God-breathed uh, by God, and profitable for teaching, or sometimes translated doctrine, for reproof, telling you what's wrong, for uh, a correction, uh, telling you what's right, and for training in righteousness, so that the men of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. I hear people say, I'm not under the Old Testament. I say, well, I don't know if you're under or you're above the Old Testament or through the Old Testament. (laughs) All I can tell you is it's the inerrant word of God. And so you've got to have some kind of relationship to the Old Testament. And since the holidays are in the Old Testament, you've got to have some kind of relationship to the holidays. And so it's not that Christians must do the holidays, but Christians must learn from the holidays because it's profitable. Everything in the Old Testament is profitable. Now, I'll tell you, a lot of the Jewish holidays are designed for children, and some adults uh, really learn well uh, when they learn like children. Jesus even said, be like a child. And so when you taste, you touch, you have images, you have stories. I mean, that really helps us learn. And the holidays are the Old Testament truth in four color, 3D. Yeah, multi-sensory. Everything comes to life, you know? It does. It was before we had PowerPoints and videos. And so I think that these festivals are wonderful for Christians to experience so that they can learn some incredible truths about God and his plan of redemption. Yeah, Mitch, I couldn't agree more. And I know that just me personally, in my own walk, in my service with chosen people, I have found such great spiritual value in celebrating these feasts. And we want to invite you, our listeners, to make an effort to tune in over the next few weeks as we dig deeper into these fall feasts. Rosh Hashanah, the New Year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. We're really looking forward to it. You've been listening to The Chosen People, and this program can be heard every weekend right here on your local radio station, or catch the program online 24 hours a day, seven days a week, when you visit chosenpeople.com slash radio. And while you're online, be sure to sign up to attend our special conference called 9-11 and the New Middle East, which will be held in New York City and online September 10th and 11th. We'll feature well-known speakers such as Joel Rosenberg, Anne Graham-Lotz, 
Michael Rydelnik, and so many more. You'll be encouraged and blessed to hear these special testimonies. And to learn more or sign up, just visit chosenpeople.com radio. And now to close us with the ironic benediction, here's Dr. Michael Rydelnik and Dr. Mitch Glazer once again. Yivarechacha Adonai v'yishmarecha Ya'er Adonai panavalecha v'yichunecha Yisa Adonai panavalecha V'yaseim lecha Shalom May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and be gracious to you. May the face of the Lord shine upon you and give you peace. B'Shem Shel Yeshua HaMashiach, Sar Shalom, in the name of Jesus the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. The Chosen People is produced and sponsored by Chosen People Ministries.